I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back for another episode, everybody. My guest today hails from the Diocese of Rapid City. Susan Safford is the Director of the Office of Faith Formation for the Diocese of of Rapid City. Um, Joining me from across the great state of South Dakota via these wonderful technological means we're all getting very acquainted with in these coronavirus days. Susan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm really excited um, that you're with us. Our show thus far, as we've kind of been um, exploring, as I say in the little lead-in, is those virtues, virtues and principles. I've, we've kind of had this alternation on the show with the various guests I've, we've had on between some of those like really formative foundational things that, that we need to have to be formed in so that we're really equipped uh, for, our, for our citizenship. And then also kind of exploring some more like nuts and bolts of of policy proposals, of lawmaking. So we've kind of been uh, going back and forth. And with the topic uh, that we want to address today, Susan, we're kind of uh, hewing back towards um, some really foundational formative things. So it, when I approached you, um, just kind of having interacted with you a little bit for work and um, just got to know you a bit, it's like, yeah, I really would love for Susan to come on. What do you want to talk about? And just based on what you do for the diocese, kind of our topic today is, is like the missionary vocation of, of yeah. all the faithful, but especially of the lay faithful. Um, and so we'll get, in, we'll get into that. But before we do, I'd, do you mind just kind of introducing yourself and, and telling listeners a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. Uh, I, well, I'm, I'm, I've been living in Rapid City for about the last 20 years or so. Uh, and, but I grew up in Nebraska. I'm a Midwesterner at heart. Uh, and and so lived most of my life here in the Midwest. Uh, attended undergraduate at Creighton University in Omaha, and then did my master's. I actually started some master's work at the University of Notre Dame, and then went on to Franciscan University of Steubenville. Finished up there uh, in theology and catechetics, and uh, and from there came back to the Midwest. To uh, although they say they're the Midwest in Ohio, but I I don't know. I, <laughs> as someone from the middle of the country, I, I'm not sure, but uh, I came back to the Midwest to South Dakota, and uh, and so I've been here for quite a while. Um, also, uh, I'm a consecrated virgin, consecrated in 2006. It's a little-known vocation, uh, a secular form of consecrated life. So. Uh, that means I, I don't wear a habit. I'm not called sister. Uh, my primary call, uh, religious, of course, primarily called to the community and to that community life. Uh, my primary call is to live in, and be eleven in the world, and uh, and especially to to pray for priests uh, around the world. So, uh, so that's the the primary, I guess, mission of this particular vocation. Amen. And I th- thank you for sharing that. Just so the listeners know, I. I primed the pump a little bit and I asked you to share that just because your vocation is so beautiful and it's not widely known as we were just visiting before, uh, before we started recording here, just sharing a little bit of my own experience with people in, in the same or similar vocation. My wife and I are members of one of the new movements in the church and there are um, consecrated women. They're not religious. They don't wear a habit. They like, 
they're, they're so funny too, because they might be working in diocesan work like you, but there are some, like there's one of them who's like an air traffic controller. Another one's like a, you know, a partner in a law firm. So it's, and it, it kind of, if I understand correctly, it kind of harkens back even to the apostolic era with the order of virgins and. Um, it does. It was kind of a renewal of that. They came about at the second Vatican council, a renewal of that apostolic age and, and the call of women who are living in the world, but, but espoused to Jesus Christ. And I think most of our listeners are Catholic. I, I know I have at least a, a handful of Protestant listeners. So even just, is this kind of a weird Catholic thing? But even just to put it in scriptural terms of like this Pauline celibacy. Right. Um, you know, St. Paul speaks of this. So it's, it's, it's well-grounded in scripture and the tradition. So Exactly. Thanks for sharing a little bit about that. So 2006 was the move to Rapid City and was the move for the sake of undertaking work on behalf of the diocese? Actually, 2006 was the consecration. I actually oh, got went to, um, for, right out of college, I went first to Spearfish, South Dakota, and worked for uh, St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Spearfish. And I was there for about three years. And then in the year 2000, I came to Rapid City. And I worked for the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help for a while, then the Vocations Office, and now the Office of Faith Formation. Awesome. So, okay. Getting to the topic at hand, uh, and it's something I, I know you talk a lot about um, just in your work of faith formation on behalf of the, the Diocese of Rapid City, um, and is, I think, part of what you're doing that people, I guess, in Rapid City would be familiar with is you've got something called the Veritatis Splendor Institute, which is not unlike a variety of sort of adult faith formation in various dioceses, the upper Midwest, um, Dr. Chris Bergwald has something called Equip in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. You know, many people would be familiar with the work of uh, Dr. Jeff Cavins in the Archdiocese of St. Paul. So different in their different manifestations and aspects, but kind of a similar similar idea. And you, you've got this keynote speech, this keynote talk, and I kind of want to just really walk through it. It's titled Into Your Mission Field. And one of the foundational documents that I as that kind of jumped out at me as I'm going through the topic is there's a lot pulled from Lumen Gentium. So before we get into the details of kind of the outline, do you want to set the stage and just describe a little bit of what Lumen, uh, Lumen Gentium is? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a, one, of the, one of the dogmatic constitutions of the Second Vatican Council and really meant to, um, meant to give direction, I think, in a lot of ways to the work of the church in the world. And so this class, Into Your Mission Field, um, it's, a li- it's just a little class. It's one part of the VSI, as you mentioned. Um, the Institute is meant to really form leaders and evangelists and catechists and and even parents and their families as leaders. And and so this particular course is all about um, helping all of us to understand what is my what is my mission? What is the Lord calling me to? And what does it mean to serve as a lay person in the church and in the world? No, and it's even the term too, Lumen Gentium, um, I, I don't think I knew this until a couple of years ago because I'd seen all these names of these different sort of church documents, but it's Latin and it's like the first two words of the document, right? Right. I think, I think it's like from the very first sentence um, and it's, if I remember right, it's light of, uh, light of the nations, light to the nations. Light to the nations, yeah. So kind of this, this great exploration uh, by the church, for the church, um, helping, her, helping us uh, 
explore the church's own identity and our identity within it. Um, so, okay. So where you begin with, with this outline is, um, the, like to actually define laity. Right. Do, do you want to do that? Do you want me to read it? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is, this is straight from Lumen Gentium. The term laity is here understood to mean all the faithful, except those in holy orders and those who belong to a religious state approved by the church. That is the faithful who by baptism are incorporated into Christ and integrated into the people of God are made sharers in their particular way in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly office of Christ and have their own part to play in the mission of the whole Christian people in the church and in the world. Now, when I, when I read this, the, the thing that just really jumps out, and I, I want your thoughts on unpacking this a little bit, but that last line is that they all, all of the faithful have their own part to play in the mission of the whole Christian people in the church and in the world. It's, it's really like, it seems that there's a, there's a duty. Like there's actually, oh my goodness, I got to take ownership of this. Yes, absolutely. And it is, it is a role that is different from the clergy. And that's what's, what's made clear here. There's the role of the clergy, there's the role of the laity. Um, And certainly they overlap in a lot of ways, but um, we often talk about, um, you know, we often talk about ministry, technically speaking, ministry belongs to the ordained um, and the laity have an apostolate. So um, what's the difference there? You know, um, the reality is that the laity are called to be out living and acting in the world and sanctifying the world in the public square and all of those, all those things really being engaged in, in that life. While the priests are meant to really support us in a way in that, uh, in our role in the front lines of evangelization. And, and of course their role is as teachers and as ministers of the sacraments, right. And, and leaders. Um, but that they're, uh, well, I often say in class, sometimes I'll say, you know, um, serving in the church, if we serve in the church and as lectors or as Eucharistic ministers, that's great. Uh, but that's not really our role. That's not what really we're called to do, um, that the Lord is calling us to be out in the world. Um, now, I also say, don't go back to your priest and say, Susan says we don't have to be <laughs> ministers anymore because that's not our role. That's not what I mean. But um, but it's not, it certainly is not our primary. A priest can have mass without, he doesn't need us to have mass, right? right. He does need us to go out and sanctify and evangelize the world. Amen. Amen. It's kind of so that the distinction isn't always clear between the different jobs or roles, if you will, of the lady and, and priests, bishops. And I, sometimes I think back to when I um, applied for the, or when I was considering applying for the job I currently hold as kind of the faith and politics job on behalf of the bishops in South Dakota. My, when I first saw the job description, um, or somebody sent it to me, and my first thought was like, oh, no, what are the bishops getting involved in politics for? Like, they don't need to, and that was a bit of an immature response. Like, of course, on behalf of the entire church as, as teachers, they do have a role in really pursuing justice and teaching and telling the truth, even unto the civil order. But even yes. within my initial immature response, there was maybe a nugget of truth, which is, it is, there's a primacy for the lay people and the role of 
the role and work of, of the lady in the field of politics. We'll get a, and just a little teaser or like spoiler alert, because I'm sure people know where I'm going with this is like, we all have a mission and it's going to end up at politics. I won't put you on the spot for that, but that's where we're going. Were you going to say something? Right. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, certainly bishops and, and priests give us, provide leadership and provide clarity around the teaching of the church for us so that we can more appropriately engage the world. You know, we have some guidance for that. And so certainly they're a part of that work, uh, but it doesn't, uh, it, it's the, it, we're still the ones on the front lines, right? The lay people and how we live in our family life and how we engage in our communities and our in our schools and our work and how we uh, how we engage in politics and civil order and and legislation and all of those things you know that's that's for us to engage in with the guidance and direction the teaching of the bishops and the priests who give us you know give us some clarity around around truth goodness and beauty amen and they do it so well maybe um this is, we were just kind of reflecting a little bit on paragraph 31 of Lumen Gentium, and it continues. Do you have it uh, teed up there in front of you? Do you want to, to read kind of that next part of paragraph 31? Absolutely. By reason of their special vocation, it belongs to the laity to seek the kingdom of God by engaging in temporal affairs and directing them according to God's will. It pertains to them in a special way, so to illuminate and order all temporal things with which they are closely associated, that these may always be affected and grow according to Christ and may be to the glory of the Creator and Redeemer. Okay, thanks for doing that. I, I got to ask because not everybody maybe has heard this before or has an understanding of like the concept, but when, when the document says temporal affairs, can you just explain that a little bit? What do we mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, the affairs of, of daily life that pass through time, temporal means time. And so the yeah. temporal affairs are the affairs of, of daily life, basically the, the, the uh, ordinary, uh, ordinary interactions and affairs that we engage in. So as opposed to, on the other hand, eternal affairs. Exactly. Um, and so that, even if we just sort of, um, I just, this will have come up for listeners just last week, but I was doing a little bit of uh, St. Augustine with John Schaff, a, a political science professor at Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, Northern State University. He's going to say, oh, you sent me to a, to the different, a different school. <laughs> we were talking about the city of God and city of man, and we can maybe see the same concept that plays. We've got temporal affairs and we've got eternal affairs, if you will. Right. But the, the laity, the point of this, one of the things I've kind of take out of it is that the laity really do have a special vocation within the temporal affairs. Yeah. Is, that, is that a fair yeah. understanding? Absolutely. Right. And it's, and it's, um, you know, when we think about the apostolate, apostolate of the laity, sometimes Sometimes we think about it and think that this is, wow, this is going to be an extra burden and how am I going to add this to my already busy life? But the point made here is that this is life, right? This is ordinary life. And so it's how we live in it and how we witness within it and, and how we, we speak up in the places where we need to speak up and how we pray, right? And how we engage. So it isn't something additional to life. It is life. It's just a question of how we live in it and engage in it. Well, and that's, the, I, I'm so glad you, you sort of bring that question in, like, how do we do it or where do we start? Within that last quotation you read, it, the, one of the lines is, it pertains to the lady uh, in a special way to eliminate and order all temporal things with which they are closely associated. 
So right. to, to me, the first thing is like, okay, where do I start? Well, I start with those things with which I'm closely associated, right. you know? So if I'm, a, if I'm a teacher or whatever, or I've got, maybe I've got kids in the school system, I'm going to start there. Like I'm associated, I'm already bound up in this. Um, am I kind of unpacking that? That's yeah. exactly right. Exactly right. It's not, it's not something new that I have to add to my life. It's, uh, it's the way I live my life as I'm, as, as I interact with my family, with my workplace, with my kids' schools, you know, whatever it might be. It's how I interact there and, and how I engage. Um, and, and that isn't just simply a passive thing, however, you know, it's not that I just, um, what sit back and let these things happen, but I do what I do kind of keep to my, it's not like that. It's that, no, I actively engage and I actively share, you know, what the Lord has given to me and, and, uh, and I speak up in the places where I need to speak up. Right. Um, that I, uh, that I do try to influence policy and, and culture in positive ways. I'm going to share a quotation, and you know that I like Mere Christianity because I just shared a little bit with your VSI students, but I want to share this quotation that I just thought really bore on this paragraph. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, for those not familiar, is he was not a Catholic man, but he, he wrote this book after his conversion called Mere Christianity. He was an Anglican, and he's sort of describing Christianity as he's come to understand it. So he says, um, the chapter is called Social Morality. He says, the job is really on us, the laymen talking about sort of infusing Christianity into the world. The application of Christian principles, say, to trade unionism or education must come from Christian trade unionists and Christian schoolmasters, just as Christian literature comes from Christian novelists and dramatists, not from the bench of bishops getting together and trying to write plays and novels in their spare time. And it's not an anti-bishop or anti, he's just really parsing like, um, the duty of the, of the layperson to sort of infuse that, that um, the result of their baptism into their particular competence, those things they're associated with. Exactly. And that's where, where Lumen Gentium emphasizes our role as priest, prophet, and king from our baptism, right? Okay. Uh, do you want to say more about that? Oh, there's a lot to say about that. Um, yeah. Do you want to do now? yeah. Well, yeah, priest, prophet, king, because I know that, just in your presentation on the slide there, it's, um, it's, it's kind of listed at the end, but it's not, there's not like a church document that really unpacks it, but I I do want to hear more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, in the VSI, we just have a, a really good conversation about what all of this means. You know, what does it mean to participate in the priesthood of Christ? So what does a priest do? Well, a priest offers sacrifice, a priest mediates, right? Um, mm. A priest um, a priest teaches. So, so to, be, to participate in the priesthood of Christ, uh, first and foremost, I think, means offering all of my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings, right? Everything in my life, my apostolate, everything to the Lord, offering everything to us as, as a spiritual sacrifice. And I can do that in a special way at the, at the Mass, Right, that when the the priest offers the bread and wine, I also offer with him all of my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings. Um, And by that, I participate in God's work of consecrating the world to Himself. Um, I offer, and I offer this um, through the holiness of my life. Holiness, uh, really meaning that I'm set apart for God. I've set 
my life apart for God. Um, and so, so that's my, that's my priesthood. And also certainly by um, educating my kids in the faith, right? Mm-hmm. So as a, as a parent, um, there's a, that's part of my priesthood is that leadership in, in teaching my, my children and, and witnessing to the, to the faith with them. That's going to overlap a little bit with, with my role as prophet. But then also, um, also we do assist the priest in ministry when we're needed. And that's when, when we become, you know, readers or Eucharistic ministers or, or even catechists in our parish. All of those things are ways that we participate as ways that we assist the priest in his own ministry. Well, and these, these elements of, of Christian identity that you're describing, that each one of us as lay people have, obviously we, aren't, we don't have the ministerial priesthood through the laying on of a bishop's hands, but right. we, we do have priesthood through our baptism. It's, it's, it's different in character. But what, I, think what I'm, I think what I'm hearing you say is, is maybe the reason that this is part of the discussion about mission is because we, don't, we can't actually separate these things from our identity at, at any moment in time. Yeah, right. Um, you're absolutely right. It's not the same as the priesthood. The ministerial priesthood is very different through ordination, but through baptism, all of us are priest, prophet, and king in Christ. And so all of those things are, are that's a part of my baptismal call and the gifts that are given to me in baptism, um, which call me to, yes, offer to the offer a sacrifice to the Lord, to mediate him to the world, to my kids, mm-hmm. and it, first and foremost, right, as a layperson, to my family, right, so often my children, but it, even for people like me, right, to, to my family and to the people around me, um, and, then, and then moving on into my role as prophet, um, to teach others, um, uh, to evangelize, to um, the, and the, that witness of, of faith that is carried out in the ordinary circumstances of my life, right, that happen every day, that witness of life. And go ahead. Well, I was going to say just with these, all of these, these priest, prophet, king, these, these constitutive uh, elements of our identity as baptized people, you also have this concept Within, within your teaching on this topic of re- relationship, identity, mission. Right. Do, do you, um, and for those just joining us, Chris Motes here, you're the host of Faith and Politics. I'm joined by Susan Safford, the uh, director of the Office of Faith Formation for the Diocese of Rapid City. We're kind of unpacking just a bit of, of what it means to be a lay person with a mission, um, what, that, what, I, what that identity is. And, and Susan has just kind of described in kind of a, a nutshell version of priest, prophet, king. But I, I really want to hear this, this concept of relationship, identity, mission, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it comes largely from uh, the Institute for Priestly Formation. They talk a lot about this relation. So those who are familiar with that, that institute, they talk about relationship, identity, mission. And as a, as, as, as a catechist, as, as someone who teaches the faith, it's been really an important concept because so often we look for mission and we try, we start with mission and we try to uh, find what is it the Lord wants me to do? Because mm-hmm. we're very much about doing and we want to do something. It's very American. <laughs> it's very American. It is. And so we, and then what happens is we, we get our identity from that mission. Yeah. And then our identity becomes all wrapped up in that mission. And if something happens to that mission, yeah. then my identity falls apart. Right. And then somehow I'm hoping that if, 
out of this identity that I got from my mission that somehow I will get a relationship with Jesus out of that. Mm. Well, the whole thing is completely backwards, of course. So that's the thing we have to be wary of, that it all begins with relationship, that relationship with Jesus Christ um, that I um, enter into through prayer and through the sacraments that I grow in a deep encounter with him and I come to know him deeply. And then my identity comes from that relationship. I'm a beloved daughter of the Father, right? Um, That's who I am. And nothing can ever shake that. Nothing Mm. can ever change that because the Lord is always faithful. So that relationship is solid. And then in that identity as a beloved daughter of the Lord, that relationship that comes from him, I have that identity. And then I can see where he's calling me to mission. So being, right, precedes doing. And, mm. and then I see where is it, the, what is it the Lord wants me to do? And then the Lord can change it also. You know, maybe that, maybe that mission has, has altered in some way, or maybe he wants me to do something different. It doesn't matter. I'm still solid in that relationship with it, my identity in that relationship with Jesus. Now, that's such a... Um that ordering of, of things is just so beautiful. I, I had heard this conceptual framework a number of years ago, and it, it really shifted for me the way in which I sort of even approached my own prayer of like, okay, I'm going to start my prayer by just sort of, um, God, you are God, and, and, and I am me, and I'm in your presence, and you're, you're loving me into existence right now. Just sort of starting within that, that relationship rather than, okay, Lord, here are all the things that I want you to help me do. You know, I've got this going on at work. I want to do this. I want to do that. Can you help me do these things, please? Amen. Well, we've, we've got just a couple minutes left here, but you know, as we're coming to the end, I think the big takeaway for folks is um, as a baptized person, like we really got to own it. We, and we actually, what we need to own is first and foremost, like we're, we're loved, but from that, like we actually, the Lord has entrusted us with like a great mission in, in the world, in this temporal order of affairs. And I want to throw out just a couple of like places, of course, as the faith and politics guy, I'm going to say like, you're a citizen, not just me, but that's a church. We're citizens. Part of our missionary territory is the field of politics. Um, so a couple of resources just for people to dive deeper into. There's a beautiful uh, note from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith called Participation of Catholics in Political Life. If, if a, any citizen can read this, but especially if you're a politician, I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. And then there's another beautiful um, Vatican document called The Vocation of a Business Leader. Anybody involved in the field of business, um, take a look. And if you, let's say you're an educator or an artist, or you've got like particular gifts and desires for, you know, your work in the world, just Google it like John Paul Vatican artist, and you're going to find this beautiful letter to artists that St. John Paul II wrote. Um, Susan, do you have any, any thoughts on like where somebody could go if they want to just be inspired a little more? Like, okay, what is my mission as a lay person in the world? You know, the truth is I, I would always point people back to that relationship with God and, and prayer. Mm-hmm. And so I would point to, there's a couple of really good little books. One is called Time for God by Jacques Philippe. 
Yeah. It's an excellent little book, um, and that just helps ground us in prayer. Also, uh, The Parish is a School of Prayer by Father Scott Trainer is very good in terms of laying out how do I how do I enter into this relationship. Now he wrote that for priests, but it's great for anybody. Uh, and then and then I'll add um, a little booklet by Monsignor Thomas Richter called Integrated Evangelization, and he talks about how to evangelize in the world without adding more to my life, right? That how it works in an integrated way, that in my life, in my ordinary affairs of life, I can evangelize. Awesome. Susan Safford, thank you so much for joining us on Faith and Politics. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in for one more week. Of course, I'd love to hear feedback. sdcatholicconference.org. Click contact us. Until next time, live well. <laughs>